everybody! Welcome to the Kings of King, if you can believe it. Uh, of all things, it was the same one again. That's very meta. Um, this is Michael Swaim talking to you, and here is my best pal. Abe Epperson. Hey. Silence, followed by Abe Epperson, an unrelated name. Oh, come on. Come on. Silence is my friend. All right. That's the bit. You're just some <laughs> schlub. Barging in to join me on a fantabulous cavalcade of wonderment uh, into the works of Stephen King and the films and television series adapted therefrom. Today we are talking Doctor Sleep, which came out in the year... Abe? 2019. Great. I do know who directed it, Mr. Mike Flanagan. Mm -hmm. Of recent note, uh, did the Netflix runaway success Haunted series, including Haunting at... Hill House. Hill House. Haunting at Bly, Bly Manor. Manor. Bly Manor. Bly. And um, what else? He's done a ton of stuff. He did Oculus 2, I like think. The, Oculus. He did like the Oculus shit. Gamefully Unemployed love his shit. They talk repeatedly about their Flanagan boners. If you don't know Gamefully Unemployed, they're our sister network, uh, another podcasting outfit. They're great, but I'm sure you probably do know of them if you're listening to this. Um, but this is our show, so let's take back the reins and talk about... Talked about talked about oh man oh no the whole thing's ruined it's all gone <laughs> how are you doing buddy they looked like big strong hands didn't they they were uh, they I, were strong hands. i'm doing all right it's i are we breaking entirely are we going to become ourselves now okay how, great how, how am i i feel myself? more comfortable how am, how am I, I not myself, myself? <laughs> <laughs> how could they drop me on my own head are you fucking with me um anyway Bad Santa. We got to get on that on frame rate. Dude, I'm all right. I I have a lot of anxiety about an interview I'm doing right after this because yeah. I'm recording a new Tales from the Pit after this. Ooh. I'm anxious about that. And if we're peeking behind the curtain and going off rails, I think everyone should know that you're ramping down from anxiety, right? Yeah, yeah, Your anxiety's yeah. ebbing and fading. Yeah. Thank you for pointing it out to everybody. That's good. <laughs> oh, does that take us back no, no, ceaselessly? It does, that doesn't, no, it doesn't. Uh, I was just anxious because we're, we're going to record the video of this uh, and I've been dreading it all week. <laughs> and then yeah, we, I'm sorry to hear that. And then we had a well, uh, so yeah. technical issue that I got out of it, I guess. So now I'm super we, not anxious. We were we're trying to boost patronage. Frankly, we we knew, we're trying to goose it, goose the numbers a bit, and we're thinking of different ways to provide you guys more bang for your buck. So we were thinking of maybe filming these, even though it's just our stupid faces saying the dumb words. But some people on, especially the people, of course, naturally who listen to the podcast on YouTube, are like, "Why is this not a video of your stupid face saying the words?" And uh, we were thinking of providing that, but among other issues with it. Abe apparently is too anxious about it. And I don't want that impacting because Abe, I almost tweeted this and I really believe it. I think you're like one of the finest film analyzers alive right now. Aww. Maybe Aww. this is after director piece theater has really come into its own. Aww. Like, man, your insights are very robust and thorough. Thank you. Uh, man. I love doing the show with you, dude. So I wouldn't want to fuck that up with anxiety. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, I did this interview with, uh, John Goodman and Tiffany Haddish and the workaholic guys and some other famous people. And I sounded like a, such a dummy 
the anxiety completely ruined. You know, I'm good yeah. at this, but not not when you're all anxious. It does. It makes it hard. It gets in your head. It's when the camera's right in my face. See, you mm-hmm. always. I've always admired about you. It seems like you can just turn it on, and it's like a, it's like a delicious faucet that I can record on my camera. And it's the it's the hot ticket to the future, as I've always said. That's right. <laughs> but it's, it's a ticket to the middle, boys. Because you can like going straight do, to the middle. You can always do what I can't do, which is that, which is why we're having this problem. Uh, and you can do what I can't do, which is why we melded minds. And speaking of faucets, how about an elevator door opening and blood rushes out? Anyway, Dr. Of, Sleep, well, shall hi, we? Yeah. Well, hi there. Hi there. Oh, hi, Dr. Sleep. Terrible title. Can we start there? Um, Not my favorite title. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like it takes its name from one single bit, which I know is like a metaphor bit. And that's where sometimes mm-hmm. titles come from. But if you've seen the movie, if you don't, re- but don't remember, Dr. Sleep is uh, the name that the uh, patients in the like the the elderly patients who are dying hospice in the hospice give they they call him that. Also, I, Ewan McGregor. So, and he's kind of like the cat that sits at the foot of their bed, which they acknowledge is now it's time to oh, pass. Wait, they call the cat Azrael Doctor Sleep. I thought they called Ewan McGregor no, Doctor Sleep. They call Ewan he, McGregor Doctor Sleep because they Ewan McGregor because he's just an orderly, but they're like doctor, and he's like I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but they call him that because he sends them off to a beautiful rest. The other thing is, how would they know? Like, how do they transfer that knowledge to other people of like, by the way, when I died, this guy made it real nice for me. <laughs> like, how do you, you can't, anyway. It's a or, stupid name. right when I died, the last thing that happened is this cat came into the room I was alone in and sat on my lap. <clears throat> then I died. How would you know? Unless people are repeatedly catching the cat as it leaves the room mm-hmm. and going like, oh, that cat just came out of this room a dead guy is in. <laughs> that seems unlikely. The cat's anyway, doing crimes. <laughs> I have other issues with the plot, but they're fairly minor, um, but they're funny. So we'll dive into them. But yeah, the title, I just think is not that descriptive. And it made me realize retroactively that I don't think The Shining is a particularly good title either. But I'm not saying I can think of a better title. Both stories... Oh, by the way, if you don't know at all what Dr. Sleep is about, it is a sequel to The Shining. Mm-hmm. So it's there you go. The continuation of the plot of Danny, the boy in The Shining, is now Ian McGregor. You're all yep. caught up. Um, You're all caught up, at least enough to parse this part of the podcast. <laughs> but sure. regardless, uh, I think both of us came away with really positive impressions of the movie. So I'm excited to dive into it because I had no idea it was going to be so strong. It was pretty dope. Uh, that's the thing is when I watched it, it's because it took me this podcast because I've never been a big about the books and I've always been huge into The Shining and several of his films, but I haven't done a deep dive like this. Um, this is a movie that the more you know about Stephen King and his mythology, I really think it gets better because after doing this, some of this podcast, now watching this after I watched it initially, I kind of thought it was like pretty mediocre, kind of a mess. And then when I watched it again, I pieced a lot more together um, and it makes for a better viewing experience. Now that's something that is a, there's a larger conversation about like, well, let's look at movies based on the merit of what you see in frame one to frame last frame, you know, like, Mm -hmm. 
I don't want to have some someone come up and explain it to me of why that movie was good. You know, like that there's an argument to be said about that, but I really enjoyed this viewing of uh, this movie. Well, let's get into it yeah. with our first segment slash spectrum. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, under the domes, the one. Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? Yeah, under the dome. It's just- Under that dome you go and you find a smaller dome. Ooh, you. I don't know what song you're doing. Uh, it's the elevator synopsis in the movie. That's right. We should have called it elevator synopsis, but that's not a King work. No. But it will be because... <laughs> Ultimately, Stephen King will eventually write everything, every possible title. <laughs> it's pro. It's a joke about his prolificness, but right. it sucked. Got it. That was a terrible joke. That's yeah, terrible I got it. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> I might not. <laughs> I'm especially fucking annoying this episode. Is I, that just me? No. I'm annoying myself. You're fine, dude. You're having a good time, and that's what I love. <laughs> that's what I love too. All right, I like to party. Um, Doctor Sleep. <laughs> Under the dome, who's gonna take it? Um, I I did I have bullet points of the whole plot then here. You take but you it, probably I guess. do too. I do, but mine's I noticed mine's a little long, and I don't know mine's if you want super wanna... long. Oh, okay. So here we are. Should we both take it? Yes. Maybe this will be sort of a Cohen Bros. Let's uh, uh let's helix it. We let's helix it. it. Pass it on. Let's see how good we are at just passing it forward. Saying and then Intertwine I'm done. It. You go. Um yeah. yeah, it's a continuation of the shining. So you got Danny who now goes by Dan. What's their last name? Torrance. Torrance. Dan Torrance. Um all grown up, still psychic, and he's learned how to cope with having the shining. And his method of coping, because uh, the spirits from the Overlook Hotel still plagued and followed him because he was forever tainted or like connected to them through what happened in the events of The Shining. I don't know what to say if you're not familiar with The Shining. We can't fit all this into one box. No. Go listen to our Shining episode. It's, it's psychic shit. But his childhood entails all the events of The Shining, and you have to be caught up to that, or you can't access this episode. You should wait until you've at least seen The Shining. Um, so now he's, of course, like somewhat a traumatized dude, right? Because if you continue Danny's life, he had this horrible event where his dad went nuts and tried to axe murder everyone. It's pretty fucked up. And uh, so he's coped by becoming kind of a psychic badass, but also a haunted, lonely, drifter, alcoholic, unhoused person. And uh, by psychic badass, I mean he trapped all the spirits in boxes in his mind. Dreamcatcher vibes. If you listen to our Dreamcatcher episode, this movie also uses, and this delighted me, and I think this is what Abe's talking about with the richness of the Kingiverse, which is a very real thing to me now. Um Abra even says in this movie, I guess inside we're all like libraries. And you're like, yeah, every, that's Stephen King uses that repeatedly. Mm-hmm. That is what, if psychic powers are a building in your brain, a physical building, and it always has filing cabinets full of punch cards that represent your memories. <laughs> and I just think that's so funny that he couldn't conceive of the idea that well, it might be a neural network or it might be more like a cell phone. No, it's like the Dewey Decimal System of the library. But anyway, I digress. Um, speaking of Abra, Cadabra, 
he makes magic <laughs> contact with a girl. Didn't you expect someone to say Kadabra ever at some point? So, yeah, I did it think that. Me. I did think that actually. <laughs> they become friends. I thought this was great. That's it's great evolutions. The evolutions are truly novel yes. and interesting on the on the original mo- structure and motifs. So whereas before we had Tony, which was. Uh, Danny's childhood imaginary friend, but we came to understand over the course of The Shining that that's his interpretation of having The Shining. Mm-hmm. It's Tony's not real. And what's funny is now, th- towards the midpoint of this movie, Abra reveals, actually in Act 3, I think, I yeah, I thought you were my imaginary friend for a long time. Right. So Dan now accidentally just made random psychic connection with this girl and they chat sometimes psychically, even though they've never met and they're hundreds of miles apart. So she, for all she knows, he's her imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. But we know she's like him. She has a super shining. And yes, this becomes... Essentially, the X Men or like Logan or the I'm Avengers. So, oh my God, I'm so where glad the you said sh- that. Yeah. Where the it's Shining X-Men. is like mutant powers, and that works way better than you would think it would work. Yeah. It's really cool. And did you not want this? Is my takeaway. This is a bad elevator pitch. Yeah, it is. <laughs> my takeaway from the whole movie was all I wanted is for Danny, spoiler alert, to survive. And for him and Abra to fucking solve psychic oh ghost crimes God. forever yeah, together. <laughs> that is like that. That's what like revealed itself to me is the X-Men thing. I was like, this is this is so cool because this is like the shining as a story. And I guess I think I started to understand what what the rift between Kubrick and uh, King here. Because Kubrick yes. wanted a more internal. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> uh, had a more internal, like, version of the story about like it's very, it's it's very Jack centric. All the time, I'm pretty sure King just wanted to make X Men, but sci- psionic X Men or psychic X Men, because Abra is like Jean Grey. She's even more powerful. Right, but Kubrick. Was literally, I mean, you know the famous story, I think we mentioned it in the Shining episode, where he called and said, like, do you believe in the possibility of an afterlife? And he's like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not unsure. He was, like, going on a bit. Um, But we don't know for sure. And Kubrick was like, well, I don't, and hung up. Mm -hmm. And that was in reference to the Shining, like, he adapting the Shining. And Kubrick elevated that movie in a very specific direction. Elevated is maybe the wrong word. He he weaponized that movie in a very specific way to be like, no, it's really depressing. It's truly bleak and alienating in a way that reminds you of things that are truly harsh about life. Like, no, 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 pretend this really happened. In real life, a dad has definitely killed his family with an ax before. Mm-hmm. Fuck, dude, yeah. fuck. Like, imagine that. Whereas other movies might have an axe wielding dad about to kill a family. And yet from the, and this is a social contract that's ingrained in us from our entire history of movie watching. There's ways it's shot, literally the saturation, the way the actors act, the level of makeup that's used, the Mm -hmm. camera angles and editing pace that make you go, this is still a movie movie though. The contract is safe. This is not funny games. This is not Haneke land. Like, Mm -hmm. Everything is going to be 
uh, through the lens of a movie or a fun ride. We're having a fun ride. And this movie's that. So I think there's a part of you that goes, well, this isn't as scary as The Shining. And now I realize I don't think Stephen King gives a shit about that. He was trying to write like a ripping yarn both times. Mm -hmm. And Flanagan kind of gets it more because Mm -hmm. he turns this into, I wrote even more than MCU. I think this is (laughs) like... Fast and Furious, The Shining, because the structurally, the big moments are like, oh, shit, it's the Overlook. They're going to the Overlook, bitch. And and the quote is like, aren't you going to wait with me? No. I have to go wake it up. Vroom, vroom, motherfuckers, it's on. (laughs) Vroom, vroom. Like all the moments are like, this shit just went up a notch. (laughs) And if you accept it as that, I like, I really also think Logan is the touch. It really reminded me of how I felt when I watched Logan, which I really liked. I want to talk about that later when we start dissecting right. the themes. Um, let's talk about then let's Rose. just end it. No, let's talk. Let's <laughs> talk about Rose. Let's and let's I'll do the, I'll, I'll wrap it up then. I'll wrap it up. So wrap it up. B. Rose the hat is the leader of this uh, like cult of essentially uh, get like spirit vampires called the true knot and this is now in 2019 so uh abra's like a teenage girl and dan's now over alcoholism or not over alcoholism but like he's now sober and he is working as as an orderly at this point and after they like make their side like their psionic pen pals who's tapped into the phone will rose the hat because her power um is that she can essentially uh, have feelers out in a wide, like she is the, uh, she's cerebro. S- yeah. She is the satellite dish and it's very effective. And the reason why she's in charge of the true knot, which is a group of vampires that live by murdering children. Um, but they can only extend their lives if they kill people who have the shining. Yeah. And the shining comes out as a magic steam that they all inhale. So it's yeah. literally like, which is I you immediately like less elegant yeah. than Kubrick. Kubrick would not accept this. It's too mm-hmm. gimmicky and comic booky. But yeah, the the presupposition of this movie, and they even this is what got me. I do think this is over the line. They can save it in futuristic canisters yeah. of shining, yeah. which they never explain. Who in that group invented that? I want to see like Bud the Chunk in the 1700s yeah. be like. I figured out how to use this canister to hold the steam. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, yeah, the shining is a steam that's inside you. Uh, And there's a few other players that we get, we know about in the true knot. One of them is Crow, who's like, if Rosa had as a satellite dish, he's like the hunter. He's like more like locally, I can get in there and I can track exactly where that person is and then get them. And then they have a few people that are muscle. We also see like kind of um, the introduction of a new member uh, of the group. What's her name again? Andy. Andy. And uh, she's a pusher, which is I can just uh, my shining power, I guess, is just to say something to you and you do it, you know. So their whole midsection in the movie is basically them sussing out who's who. Rose and the True Not don't really know about Dan yet because he's really good at boxing everything in and he was an alcoholic for so long. So Dan and Abra arrive at the out, uh, Overlook Hotel and uh, in the, when he first arrived, Dan starts to turn up all the boilers as kind of ticking clock for like the hotel to explode 
explode later. Now, when Rose the Hat arrives, she kills Dan, who then turns into a ghost. And when Abra is kind of run and hidden uh, and they have unleashed the ghosts of the hotel, um, Dan fights the hotel, I guess, in his mind to keep himself as a ghost from killing Abra, giving her time to run away while Rose is herself being killed by the ghosts, which then once she exits, the whole thing explodes, wraps it up all nicely. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. That, that's kind of the ending of the thing. Although I don't know, because this is an adaptation of a s- book that's a sequel to the book The Shining called Dr. Sleep. But my question is, is Halloran is dead in this. And Halloran was alive at the end of the book, The Shining. He only died in the movie. So did Stephen King acquiesce and change his reality to match Kubrick's? I don't believe so. I haven't read the book, but my gut tells me it's pretty easy workaround just to have Dick die in the interim. Like he was an old, he got got older, he died. Well, that's kind of the last Um, bit of the arc is that Halloran still is like Jiminy Cricket for Ewan McGregor. Like he sees him Mm -hmm. even though he's dead and they have chats. And um, he, Dick Halloran goes away to whatever the final phase of the afterlife is. But Dan is now the Dick Halloran for Abra. Like he's going to hang out and still advise her and help her out. In fact, they could still do the show where they go solve crimes and do X-Files and he's just a ghost. And he's just a ghost. Yeah. Let me ask you this before we leave this segment. It's kind of like Legion if in X-Men. Actually, That's true. It is. I didn't know he was a ghost at the end, which would resolve one of my, because one of my questions is, wouldn't his leg keep him from running? Because he chases Abra all over the hotel screaming Abra when he's evil mode and wouldn't his wounded leg, cause he got a terrible leg wound where from Rose the hat with the ax. And she says, you're going to bleed out soon. Then he runs like nothing's wrong with his leg. Is that a mistake? Or did I miss that? He died. I think he died. I think there's an, it's open they to don't clearly show him die. Much. Do they? Cause he does have a limp when he's chasing Abra, but, he also can move his leg and a wound like that would not allow he was he's Fucked done in up. minutes they got a artery so like your a, theory is from the staircase scene on he's a ghost which is yeah. funny because that works either way because in this reality ghosts can touch stuff and abra can see ghosts so he could be a ghost or not but i didn't and i interpreted that he lived until the boiler exploded yeah. I love when people who know the books comment. My interpretation yeah, from just reading the uh, or not reading the books, but having seen the movies is that ghosts are people with shining. Is that true? With shine? Does that seem right? Oh, you think? Or is it just people have had horrifying deaths like normal ghosts? I'd like people to weigh in. Yeah. Well, that's all. The way I took it in this movie world, at least, was that. They're, they tried to make it like the same thing. They were saying that those individual ghosts that we saw in The Shining One are not necessarily... The ghosts are not like Rose the Hat and the True Knot. The True Knot are like the Overlook. Does that make sense? Like he says... I, yeah. He says... I mean, the, thematically, yes. The Overlook Hotel so. is is a place that's a version of them. They each shine... The Overlook ate Shine. And that is not necessarily the way that The Shining presents it, but it retroactively works in a way that I really like because it implies that 
oh, okay, it kind of works as a magic system, so to speak, if this were a high fantasy novel. Because it's like, oh, the Overlook was attracted to Danny and Jack Torrance because they're both strong in The Shining. And it was feeding off them. It completely fed off Jack Torrance and used him Mm -hmm. up. But Danny was able to escape or whatever. So it's like a mathematical. They're basically trying to retcon the steam system of The Shining into The Shining One. And it kind of works. I don't think it's like that sloppy. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's great scenes in this movie, which I don't want to put here in this section. Let's unpack later. There's stuff like. like how the true not dies. Um, the scene with the lookalike of Jack Torrance talking with Dan is super important. Uh, but I feel like we can move on. Yeah. Oh, we're out of the dome. Yeah. And that means we're at skeleton crew. Something in the mist. Shut the doors. Shut the door. Ooh, spooky. This is about the creative team and any interesting behind the scenes stuff that we found when we were looking into it. Um, so I'll start off and say that this cast rules. That's all I have. Rules. That's literally all I have is that Kylie Curran kills it as Abra because mm-hmm. she is a child actor who also plays possessed by an adult who mm-hmm. plays going into a trance who plays uh, horror scared and also uh, badass kicking ass because she becomes Dark Phoenix essentially in the yeah. within her own mind. She's badass. She just destroyed. What a talented child actor. Man, killed it. Uh, the True Knot with Rose Crow and Snakebite Andy, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, they are all killing it. Obviously, Ewan McGregor as Dan is killing it. Uh, I wanted to shout out to that kid who was one of the first, the second death that baseball we see on boy? screen. The baseball kid who's screaming. Oh, his death is gnarly. Please, I was like, whose please. parents let him do this? Please, please don't haunting. kill me as like a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Just let me go. Just let me like, go, please. I won't tell anyone. Don't hurt me. Yeah. He's doing and just like fucking uh, Miller's crossing going through his throat. <laughs> He's bleeding. It's just wow. John Tatura wow. level shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's haunting. It's a haunting Look scene. into your heart. I'm a baseball boy. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, there's mm-hmm. something I want to mention. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. We got to mention... Do you think Ewan McGregor kills it? I think he's very handsome. <laughs> really? I think he's good, actually. And I, I do. I think his I, American... Not a, he's muted, but it's good. His American accent is passable, but I can tell it's, it's acting. The, mm-hmm. I don't mean to shit on Ewan McGregor at all. I think what I'm saying is this is where that thing happens where I'm like, but it still doesn't have the raw, brutal reality of a Kubrick. And it's hard not to compare it to The Shining. I'm just saying, yes, he kills it, but not in the way that Jack Nicholson killed it. But that's different characters. It's a different dude. movie like, universe. The whole idea yeah. behind Dan is that he's still kind of a kid. And sane. He's, more sane than Jack. Jack's gone all the way. Oh, yeah. Jack is Jack is like kind of a traditional... like father figure who went to war kind of like as portrayed by, I don't know, Ron Howard. But when we look at 
Dan, Dan is still a little bit Danny. He's so damaged and uh, he has no confidence that that's how Ewan McGregor kind of plays it is this really subdued asking for permission just to exist kind of person. And it's uh, I think it's effective because there's a lot more like Abra is really like self-centered and confident. And it you kind of see it in that one scene where she's in where he is inhabiting her mm -hmm. and she plays it like Abra would play it. Which is that she's like dunking on this dunking on a crow, essentially, like calling him out on a shit stuff that. By the Dan way, would point of order: do. it's crow daddy. It's crow. Daddy. Don't drop the yeah, daddy. Right. Don't drop the daddy. You're right. I apologize to all daddies. Sorry, daddy. Sorry, daddy. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Mike Flanagan because he does something that I do really admire, even though. Uh, I am on record. I don't need to go into it because that's not what it's about, nor is this about me, but I do not care for the haunting at Hill House and Bly Manor. Mm. I don't think it's good. Uh, come at me. But he did Hush and Oculus. <clears throat> I've never really been impressed but with Mike Flanagan, but he does something that I really do admire, which is that he writes, directs, and edits his stuff Ooh. himself. All himself, Editing, which is great. nice. I yeah his execution his execution though is very confident and presented very well uh, in my opinion and it comes off as like but it comes off as kind of like rehashing the conventional um, like if you watch like Haunting at Hill House he does the normal jump scares and like that's what I mean uh, it's a little Stranger it's not Things what's terrifying that's what know? I mean by like the sheer loose cannon nature of Shelley Duvall screaming is a height mm. that this film doesn't achieve, that's, but it's not trying to. Yeah. Right. Uh, but given that that's his bag of tricks and it's a very good bag of tricks. Gosh, he's, he's a good such it. a reliable Hollywood like workhorse. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It, I think it's the source material that makes this movie it's something happened here because I think King knows how to make high concepts play nice together in interesting ways and Flanagan can then just because he wrote the script he can sink his teeth into the execution the pacing the construction of it all uh and he knows how much info we get here how much we hold back there and while I haven't read the book and I'm not sure how the if the scenes feel the same I kind of doubt it because I think Flanagan's power is clear when he like speeds things up and uh, I feel like, like the, and there's oh shit moments that I feel like wouldn't necessarily be this. I mean, books can certainly mm -hmm. have oh shit moments, but there's visual oh shit moments where it's like the the uh, music cue Desiree starts playing dun dun right. dun dun and snow right. falls in the foreground of lens and you're like, oh shit, we're going to the overlook. It's on. And I have a feeling that Flanagan added that superhero epic movie feeling to this that feels like something mm. that the book probably didn't explicitly have mm -hmm. uh, I found in researching this to kind of throw it back to Kubrick a little bit uh, there was a sense of cinema article called King vs. Kubrick that you can find online uh, and there's a quote from it or it's quotes from both men and it says for King, when evil come, evil comes from within, it always quote, and is an act of free and conscious will, a conscious decision. Uh, my definition, my definition of evil, 
he said when talking about specifically The Shining as the novel is, quote, the conscious will to do no, to do harm. But Kubrick says, quote, there's something inherently wrong with the human personality. There's an evil side to it. So he sees evil as uh, like um, a Jekyll and Hyde story. We're but all made up of a mix no of good and Jekyll, evil. It's all yeah. Hyde. And there's no room for a good side in his philosophy. So I think what this movie shows is, or why I put it in this section, is I think what Mike Flanagan gets that about King that Kubrick never wanted to do is that King's definition of evil is someone who is almost like um, a D&D evil. When we say like lawful evil or chaotic, well, evil. they're like Hitler's. You That's the other thing is you literally see yeah. like Abra repeatedly says you deserve it. Reminds the audience mm -hmm. that it's okay to root for killing the bad guys. Yeah, because in real life, I like unless you're very on the extreme end of there's no justifiable reason to ever harm anyone. These are the like these are the exceptions you would make. You'd be like, well. They've lived for thousands of years and they intentionally are like 12 Hitlers. Like they've killed as many people as 12 Hitlers. They, they are the extreme exception to that. They're like as evil as you can get. So we can root yeah. for them getting killed by our heroes because fuck them. Like, honestly, the true not are fucking assholes, right? Like when grandpa yeah. old baby or whatever cycles, <laughs> she's yeah. like, it, she talks about him as if he was the mythical Dracula, and this is just how yeah, he died. He he killed like millions or something. Yeah, like that. and yeah. it's like, oh well, then fuck this guy. Yeah, shoot him. Like, uh, yeah, haunt his die. mind. Make her deglove herself. Fuck these people. <laughs> oh yeah, that was gnarly too. Yeah, great scene. Uh, uh, great scene when Abra degloves Rose the Hat's hand because well, she catches a, her hand in the cookie jar. It's <laughs> so such a speak. good turn because it's again, not, and it's, it's not a service to the horror side of things. It makes it less scary and more exciting and fun because mm -hmm. it's like, uh, it's what would be a mediocre scene if it were going for horror, because you're like, Oh no, she's sneaking into my brain and accessing my memories. It can, that could be creepy. Depends how it's handled. Mm -hmm. But then it immediately turns into, oh no, the little girl is so much more powerful than her. This is a scene of Rose the Hat getting fucking wrecked in Abra's head. Abra mm -hmm. just wrecks shop with her. It's delightful. It's very satisfying mm -hmm. is what it is. It's cathartic. But in the way that a Fast and Furious or any adventure movie is, Indiana Jones, um, not right. in the way that a Kubrick movie is by a long shot. It's interesting that both movies work so well and that they're connected when they're so different feeling. There's, yeah. Uh, the tone. I, I think that Mike Flanagan understands... Or like you can just tell with that scene with uh, the ghost of Jack talking to Dan mm -hmm. uh, when he arrives back at the Overlook Hotel. Uh, it's I think there's something going on and I can't I'm just only reading what I can online and haven't read the books. I'm keeping myself away from the books on purpose. Like it's it feels to me that like Kubrick said basically Kubrick with his version said to King about his alcoholism, about like who he was, like, and his interpretation of becoming better was like, just silly. It was flawed because Kubrick believes that there's something wrong with everyone. Yeah. Cause like, Kubrick's humans, a fucking are evil. bleak realist See, slash nihilist bit. motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. That's just but what King, he was. There's, 
the king is about retribution and overcoming. That's why this story is about, uh, you know, an alcoholic succeeding, you know, at the end he throws away the booze. King ultimately writes mostly hopeful stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usually there are some survivors at the end and good triumphs over evil. He doesn't write the trial or like the truly dissociative stories, the stranger that are really about life at its actual, you know, depths of hardship. He writes about scary, spooky stuff, but happening in a world where, uh, you know, it was a big deal that Darabont on the mist that's a step bleaker than King would do. And I love that King can also get thrilled by that. Like King famously said, yeah, I love the ending of the mist. <laughs> that kicked ass. Especially when it's external. It's just like, these are circumstances. Cause it's like, Oh, you got me. You went to 11. That really was, Ooh, mm-hmm. that was spooky. But King himself, I think is a pretty hopeful writer for being a guy who writes only horror stories. There's the occasional, like um, the lonesome death of Jody, whatever the guy where the meteorite comes and he gets covered in grass. Um, right. But weeds. Yeah. I think is the book on the whole, the he largely, story. he largely writes within the, what I call the social contract universe where he believes in justice. He believes in such a thing as moral metaphysically existing <clears throat> morals. I think metaphysically existing. the triumph of the human character yeah. is something that Kubrick doesn't care about. And King, it's very personal. And I think Mike, I think Mike Flanagan understands that. And I bet I would put betting money on when King read the scene about like a man tries that scene, the, Mm -hmm. the bar, the bar scene. Uh, He kind of says straight up, this is the difference between me and you dad. And I believe in the light and you believe in the dark. Um, And that's probably what sold him on. All right, Mike. You can make this movie. Well, I, don't I know how that's, if that's how it works. He also, I think, gives Ewan McGregor the better line. Uh, I really like that those two lines. Well, there's a lot of because as an alcoholic myself, I really enjoy the good lines around alcohol. What did he say? Uh, oh, I used to smell your whiskey when I was a kid. It smelled like something on fire, which I suppose it was. Good line. And then. Um, a man takes a drink, the, then the drink takes the dr- a drink, then the a, drink the, takes the a drink man. The drink takes a drink. Yeah. 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 And then that's a great line. His and then Jack Nicholson says, not Jack Nicholson, but Jack Torrance says back, No, a mind is a blackboard, and this is the eraser. A man tries, but he's surrounded by mouths. They eat mm-hmm. time and money. It's enough to make a man sick, and this is the medicine. Which is mm-hmm. fine, but you and McGregor's line's way better. A man takes a drink, oh, then a drink takes a drink, then the drink takes the man. That's great. It's it's mm. Mm. all right. You want to talk uh I could talk about um, the look of this film, but you know what? Let's let's. That's jump not into for skeletons subword. to know about. They have to be mm-hmm. protected. They're precious. <laughs> They're precious skeletons. So let's move on let's... to it. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float it. Yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> it's it. Um, this is where we just talk. So what do you got left, buddy? <laughs> Ooh, what do I got left? Yeah. I got a shit ton of stuff I want to talk about, dude. Uh, so from the get-go, I love the Danny versus the tub 
the t- the lady in the tub treatment. Right, the woman from uh, room two thirty seven, which is two seventeen yeah, in the book. Early, because yeah, this is once Dick Halloran has shown Danny how to like box his ghost. So it's after the shining, and it's you know he's got his own psychic pen pal, and he's saying if, if you're scared, this is how I deal with it. Here's a box. It's um I think it's a night. It's not only because it's everything about this movie is about healing. Um it's about a better version of what the shining is doing. It's like, in a way it's, uh, there's, there's symmetry between the two, uh, in time and in how, how the story unfolds and why the story's unfolding. Well, the shining uh, is like here. a massive trauma and this is the catharsis of the trauma healing eventually. Exactly. Yeah. And can he, and Flanagan does something interesting because he also starts to flip how the horror scenes operate. And this is the first time it happens because the horror is usually coming from the ghosts. Like you're locked in there with the ghost. That's terrifying. So to play how he plays Danny's ultimate triumph as a child against his ghost by boxing them, he literally closes the door, creates a box around them. And then you just hear her, the ghost scream. Mm-hmm. I just thought that that was a nice flip of how the horror usually works because in the shining, a locked room is terrifying. Right. Whereas now room, the lock one, is the a locked room is safety. Right. And I think that that's nice. I like that. I a think lot. that that's nice. I just um, think it's neat. And I think that there's a lot of uh, symmetry between the two that isn't just in the thematic principles. I think it's also intentionally done in the movie as just a visual metaphor or a way to harken back to The Shining. For example, when Dan meets John, who's Bruce Greenwood, uh, Bruce Greenwood plays him. uh, He's the leader of Dan's AA group and his boss at the hospice. Did you notice that his office is nearly identical, same color, same layout, things on the wall are even the same of the Outlook's uh, hotelier at the beginning of The Shining when when Jack takes the job? It's literally the same room. It's just flipped horizontally. Mm-hmm. So the doors on the left instead of the right kind of stuff. Um, but I think where this movie really sings in terms of execution for me um, is the pacing and the procession of events and the ultimate efficiency they, that they do. And what I mean by that is that the scenes are very short and there's a lot that happens in this movie. A lot. <laughs> we couldn't even get through the elephant or the elephant, the elevator pitch, because there's just so many little details you want to include. And a ton of short scenes that all advance the plot strictly and make you feel as if, wow, we have a lot of shit we have to get through before we get out of here. Uh, That's what makes it feel like an epic adventure. That's it almost feels like a star Wars or a Marvel or a, it's like, there's a lot of shit happening, dude. And that means there's a lot of exposition to cover, yes. especially because they're trying to catch you up on a whole nother movie that's already high concept itself, even though it's the similar high context concepts. They're introducing new ones as they go. So considering all of those things at play, the history that the audience needs to be caught up on, the many characters that they're introducing, this is more characters than a normal movie of this type, honestly. there's We get closer to a lot more people. And I feel like the movie flies by, but I can describe most of these people, what their roles are and how, and how they are, how they um, like what they're doing uh, and why they're doing it. Usually these are things I don't know about everyone in a screenplay, 
I don't really have that problem in this movie. And I think that that's one of the greatest strengths of it is they had like an in like a horrible, horrible job to do, which is to do the shining. Tell us about the shining in your movie, expand on the shining, include the source material of a new book, mm. keep it captivating, work with this huge cast. There's a lot of smart decisions that Mike Flanagan did. And I think it came down to efficiency. He's so, so like, competent. Gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go. Yeah. It's, it's, very good at it. I have my competency boner is throbbing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, what do you got? What else do you got other than that boner? We really got to cover Shakes the Clown one of these days. Um, Ewan McGregor waking up, not knowing what woman he's with was very Shakes the Clown. But of course, in this case, it ends with him feeding Cheez-Its to a baby that he then psychically finds out died of exposure, or he at least thinks it did. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's confirmed. Um, and he takes their money. He takes a single mother's money. Doesn't he put it back? Or does he trade nope, the cheeses for it? Okay. He doesn't. Wow. He, in That's fact, a rough Dick says, Yeah. Dick says, put, you could at least, at least put it back. Like, you could at least not rob them. Yeah. You know? And he's like, mm. And then it cuts. <laughs> So I guess he could have, but I don't think he does. I think that's why he hit rock bottom, mm-hmm. and that's why he went to AA after. Oh, here's a question. How come you're, see, you're such a better film analyzer than me. This is, yeah, I'm like, I'm stuck in cracked mode, as I will be till I die. You're like, uh, and it means this, and it tells us this, and this is about the human spirit. How could he go eight years later, it said? How could he go eight years and no one asks why he has a giant crack in his wall that says the word murder. He hasn't <laughs> fixed that or covered it up. It's, no, the murder happens in uh, 2019. So that's days. The murder crack happened? Okay. Somehow in my notes, I thought the murder crack Bradley, happened before the time jump. He didn't really know her as a kid. He just felt her. And then they started yeah. talking when she turned into a teenager. So like in 2009 or 2007, where we see that she can put spoons on the ceiling and shit, like she's a little girl then. That's that's how Rose the Hat gets to know her. All right. All right. How about this? How about this one, though? Uh, <laughs> how about... Uh, I'm going to... I will destroy this movie. How... Let's say I come to you... And I say, I'm psychic and I'm psychically connected to this underage girl and you just have to trust me and I've been a good man and you know it. So come with me in the middle of the night and you have to drive and we go to this place and psychically the girl tells me where to dig and there will be a baseball boy's dead body there. And lo and behold, there is a body. Wouldn't Mm. you just think I'm crazy and I did it? Wouldn't That's, he just right, think so you're talking Dan about did Cliff it? Curtis. You're talking about Cliff Curtis. That's right. Who plays Billy. So he's his A sponsor, right? Mm-hmm. And he's known the guy for 10 years. Eight. So if I did this to you, yeah. or you did this to me, uh, he there's literally a scene where Cliff Curtis says, or he, he actually says, he says like, I hope I'm you're not crazy. sure what I'm more terrified. Yeah, I'm, there's two ways this goes. Right. You're a murderer or you're crazy. 
because I just don't think that you're right. You know? No. And he um, said, but if you are right and he goes, I know that's much, much worse. Cause that would mean there's ghosts and shit. There's really ghosts yes. and, yes. and vampires. And he's like, yeah, I know that would be worse. It would be worse if I'm right. And they get there and there is a dead body and the movie treats it like, well now Cliff Curtis has no choice, but to believe him, the body's there. And I'm like, wouldn't you just think he's schizophrenic. He killed this kid and put the he kid killed here. This kid. That's why I he think knows it's gotta that's gotta be on his mind. That's why he knows where the kid is. He killed the kid. I think it's gotta be on his mind, uh, until it's kind of the reason it, I think it's still okay. Even though you're right. It, it's a little bit of a, like if we were to jump inside his head, that would, should be a thought that's represented loud and clearly. Uh, we don't really get the chance to, because we don't follow him, but then also it's kind of immediately stopped. Because then the next thing that they do is go to find Abra. And Abra kind of that's true. a story. And she so, psychically inserts herself in his brain so and stuff. Yeah. There is a possibility that he could have, like, on the drive there, been like, all right, let's take a bathroom break. And then he calls the police. That is possible. Or he could have, on the way there, said, prove you have The Shining. And he said, okay, think of a number. Like, we could have omitted mm -hmm. him proving he has The Shining, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways. I think, I think there's a lot. I think I give I give it... I It's fine, because they did enough work. There's the, the whole thing of when he asks him to come, he's like, if I showed you something, like, horrible, you don't think of me as, like, a crazy guy. You don't think of me as uh -huh. a bad guy. And so he kind of preemptively asks, like, do you think I'm bad? Um, right. And he's like, no, of course not. And say, and it's like, so he's already, but that's kind of what a murderer would ask. Curse. That yeah, is what a murderer true. would ask. A good murderer would be do absolutely, you think I'm bad? that's true. A good murderer is, you can't tell the difference between someone that's who, the point. who's a good murderer and someone who's innocent. That's the whole point of being a good murderer. Here's a question. If, if I told you, come dig up this grave with me and we were there mm -hmm. and you smelled the smell of death, mm -hmm. would you do a long monologue about how one time you hunted a deer and then days later you found it and you smelled it and this is the same smell? Or would you just say, I agree, I smelled something dead? Um, I think I would. Because that exact thing happened to me. <laughs> but you'd, you'd tell a long no. story rather than just dig, continuing to dig? No, no, I wouldn't. But it's a movie. I it's a hate nice this movie, Abraham. No. That's fine. That's fine. No, no, it's, it, it's, no, no, it's no. true. People don't often pontificate. <laughs> well, now that I've gotten that out of the way, I can talk about what I thought were the most effective maneuvers. And as I've oh. said, I consider them basic plan payoff, but Mike Flanagan is so goddamn competent that um, plan payoff still gets me going. It's great to know that after all these years of movie watching, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Plan payoff that is done competently knocks my socks off, such as when they repeatedly show a hand, a crow daddy's hand reaching for his gun, because that sets up elegantly that he's not wearing his seatbelt yet because you know that as a trope to set up uh, someone reaching for a gun, you don't think mm -hmm. about the seatbelt issue. Mm -hmm. So by yep. using a single shot to mean two things at once, you can truly hide a twist because yep. then the twist is completely justified and supported and you've mixed in the red herring, but the red herring went somewhere. It didn't lead to a dead end. It's there not was, a red herring. It's, it's a closed just loop. A, it's an evolved shot. It's it's a shot. It's a compound shot in a in a sense. Yeah, I just love it that. 
Yeah, it doesn't um, move to make a different shot. It doesn't move, but the object you focus on is different. And you contrast that there. with a bad yeah. movie where someone would be like, check out that that pumpkin's there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, enough about that. And you're like, that pumpkin's mm-hmm. going to be part of the twist. Yeah, it's you a know? nice touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that some of the smartest filmmaking is done with like obvious filmmaking. Because mm-hmm. like when you think about it, it's like, okay, we're working inside a car and I got to get a shot of that. And then he was like, well, why don't we just stay on that shot? It's a perfectly fine shot for that. Or it was designed in particular to be like, well, we only need one shot for that. And it has the double effort of uh, misleading the mind of the viewer to think that they're there or misleading misleading their minds, not misleading, but like essentially there's a manipulation there where. I'm showing you information that you're not even aware that you're absorbing by focusing you in like, Hey, look over here. This is what I want you to absorb. But the peripheral information like, ah, is important thing you got and you, you absorb it. it was, yeah. yeah. Um, and a, a bad horror movie will give you both and you'll be able to be like, Oh, that's happening right now. And I bet that's going to happen next. Exactly. Know? And the saga of Andy, just the point that, Andy and Billy's arc and how they converge ultimately gave me my oh, that shit. two oh, of my biggest one cheer, of the best deaths on cheers and jeers moments of my movie watching history this year. One was when you realize what the nature of the trap is and that Abra is not there and they are just going to straight up shoot them with guns. <laughs> like that's their plan yeah. is <laughs> shoot these psychic vampires in the fucking faces. It is so cathartic. You're like, yeah, fucking. I'm like the guy in Hamlet too, going, fuck yeah. And then <laughs> uh, when Andy dies laughing, dies laughing after saying Mm -hmm. kill yourself and forcing with the Jedi mind trick Billy to shoot himself when she was already dying. There was no reason to do that. Yeah. And she laughs is like, you know, one of the, was one of the most effective twists salt in the wounds that I've had this year too. So like Billy is Billy and, and, and I was genuinely touched by Billy's, human empathy for Dan. So Cliff Curtis. Yeah, yeah. So Cliff mm. Curtis's whole arc just kept it was a gift that kept on giving. It made me so happy, then it made me so excited, then it made me so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's a good it's a good And it was just simple uh, mean potatoes. I'm not gonna Sometimes I am highfalutin and I can unpack shit and sound really smart. But on this podcast I don't have much to say about it other than Remember that part? That was cool because it's like, that rips. what am yeah. I going to say? <laughs> you know why it paid off. It paid off because they set up really, really evil guys. So you're really, really happy when they get killed. Um, seeing someone kill themselves when you are so close to winning would be upsetting. Like these are not sophisticated planned payoffs. They're just competent as hell. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're preaching. You're preaching. Mm. Uh, mm. I got something for you to do. I want to mm. ask you a question. Because you know about execution and you can unpack. Uh, I do like how the film portrays psychic events, like across locations, especially. How do you think the editing helped or hurt that 
I, interaction and was it ever unclear i once again think it's superbly middlingly competent because and middle of the pack not even middle of the pack i don't mean on average if you grade it on a curve it's like a b plus but i mean it's competent in terms of middle of the pack in terms of the overall scope of how good i think film mm-hmm. can be because everything was really pretty and engaging and it was clear to me when it wanted to be clear when I was in a dream or not, and when it wanted to not be clear, like trick me, it did. So that's pretty competent. Everything worked as it does in a Flanagan joint. And Mm -hmm. everything also was pretty. Like when Abra first possesses someone and it's her grabbing the hold of her window frame and then the room turns sideways and then she falls through Mm. space or whatever. Or when Rose the Hat, beautiful sequence in profile slowly falls to the, through the clouds to the surface of earth towards whoever she's trying to pinpoint. It all looks pretty and it makes sense to me, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything nuanced or deep. And Mm. there's not a lot of visual symbology So it's not that next level that takes you from 90% to 100% where you're a genius. It's just everything was good and it looked good too. (laughs) I think that's actually a hidden strength, um, to be honest, because what that did is it made you – it's kind of a two-part question or like a statement and then a question, I guess. It's kind of a – like what it does is it it didn't make you think about those like proceeded as normally of like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a psychic event. Uh, someone's invading someone's mind. I've seen the shining. I've seen, you know, like a bunch of other, you know, psychic characters go into someone's mind palace or whatnot. That, that, those were pretty obvious, you know, and they did the thing where, like you said, you know, very pretty, he's falling down a wall or whatnot. Um, by doing that, I wonder if there's, I want to talk, I want to like point out the psychic events that weren't clear because there's one big one that he does at the end, which is a part of the necessary like trap that they, Abra sets for uh, Dan and Cliff Curtis to like get into their like space with guns and start taking them out. Well, and as we just discussed or we discussed at the top of the episode, I don't think it's fully clear when Dan dies. That's true. That's another one. Yeah. I think that's intentionally supposed to be kind of hidden. I would say that that's less useful than the, the one I'm talking about because you learn when Rose learns. So it's, um, there's no dramatic irony whatsoever. We, we learn the events through the character who's being hoodwinked. Um, it's something that Nolan does a lot. Right. And I think that if we didn't have, right. Why are we them, suddenly riding along with Rose the hat? Cause she's about to get tricked so we can get, she's tricked. about to get tricked. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, yeah, it's exactly. And it's like, um, I think that that's wouldn't be as clear if it wasn't as like quote unquote milk toast. You know, as uh, you know, it was as as Mike Flanagan typically traditional, is. traditional, yeah. conventional. Yeah, I think that convention actually is a strength in this movie. Once again, I'm not sure if that's just a artifact of King or if that's entirely Mike Flanagan. He seems to weave it together well because there's multiple times where he doesn't make it clear that you're in a world that is completely fabricated. And again, as a writer, he is great at epic one-liners that are highly cathartic like mm-hmm. i you wait here i have to go wake it up when it all starts run um 
Are these something yeah. special in these boxes? They're not special. They're starving. <laughs> like he's <laughs> not bad with fucking epic one-liners. Uh, yeah. It's delightful. Of it's delightful. it stands to reason. Of course, you wouldn't wear your seatbelt. Boom. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that shit was great, and also the visceral dying of the demons of the uh, their skin the, becomes the, invisible. Yeah, yeah, like their their actual like the spirit vampires or whatever we're calling them. Um, yeah, they really, they become primal and animal like, and that's a nice touch. Um, it's not crazy, you know, yeah, a lot of horror movies do stuff like that. Um, a lot of TV shows, horror TV shows have done stuff like that, but, and it does uh, succeed in modeling plays. Well, I think it's one central theme adequately and competently like um yeah it's one like uh when danny makes rose the hat go through his maze and mm-hmm. he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't have that as a psychic construct that maze if he hadn't have gone mm-hmm. through so much trauma as a child he wouldn't have met dick halloran or had the training necessary to overcome this hurdle now right so it's like mm-hmm. the things that traumatized you with enough time and care which is why aa is included as a theme in the story um, mm-hmm. can become your strengths and the reason that they are now basically superheroes in the psychic realm and can kick vampire ass is because they have had undergone severe trauma as well. And it's hardened them and made them good at their psychic abilities. Uh, and that's really satisfying. That's a story we love to hear that like the shining was very harrowing and bleak, but don't worry. Mm -hmm. Did you know that guy bounced back so much that by the time he died, he was like psychic Fox Mulder, like tooling around, saving kids and killing vampires and shit. He kicked ass, Hell dude. Yeah. He was rad. Yeah, that would be rad. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to talk a little bit about that theme, though, because I think that there's something sneaky, and I think it is entirely King. Because uh, I haven't. This is the first time in this podcast we haven't done. Like he doesn't do sequels outright, but he does like stories. You know, there's the Dark and of Tower course, as someone who like struggled that. with addiction publicly and privately, uh, yeah, he he does a lot of themes about your trauma becomes your strength, or if you yeah. or human resiliency in the face of addiction. AA comes up. This is not the first or last time AA will be a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that Liet motif over his works, but this is the first time in this podcast we've been talking about like a possible Liet motif in his stories. Um, mm. and I realized that there is one in this. Um, I think the theme, you're absolutely right. Uh, there's a theme of alcoholism and self-destruction and, uh, overcoming it in this, but uh, I didn't notice that if you put, if you put it in pair it with the shining, uh, and by the way, we got to at some point watch the made for TV shining because mm-hmm. that's the one that King says he made like they almost made it as a response to the fact that uh, that he didn't like the shining so much. Yeah. You know, like he, he wanted to land the ending and a bunch of other small things he changed. I've seen I don't it. Think time. Rem- I haven't seen it because okay. uh, it's not Kubrick, but like it's not great. I would. <laughs> I, I do want to watch it now just to see what King how King would how King changed. I remember it being not great. I watched it literally when it was airing on actual TV. I think this was before the internet was invented. So her like, it was a long time Mm -hmm. ago and I haven't watched it since, but I remember it being not great. And I, so what I want to, what I think is a cool motif that he has going on in this 
story, the shining story and th- the, the, the grouping of tales uh, around this, around Danny um, is that he has this Leo motif about families specifically. He likes to play with how, uh, how the participants in the families affect the families like welfare. Uh, and it's not as super apparent and I didn't get it the first time I watched Dr. Sleep, but there's a fa- there's family in this as well, it's especially when you pair it next to what the family is in the shining. So mm-hmm. it's, so it's not that the true not, the true not is kind of a perverse family, right? Right. But if you look at the basic arc, uh, it's a parent protecting a child from the world, Right. And then they realize it's a parent protecting a child from another parent. And so in The Shining, it's Danny and his mother versus the out, the, the Overlook. And it's about the corruption of Jack and his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. But here it's Abra and Danny versus Rose and the True Knot. Right. Dick plays the same role both times as this kind of intermediate between the story. But it's in one, it's about the corruption of the father figure. And in this one, it's about the salvation of the father figure and how he, can oh, right. say, and how he, Dan how he is saves just, Abra's life. Basically. Dan is also recapitulating Jack's story if Jack had right. persevered and redeemed himself. Yeah. Just like how Jack destroyed Danny's life. And like how generationally uh, children can redeem the sins of the mothers and fathers, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. you can break mm-hmm. the cycle of violence at some point oh, or I, addiction. Yeah, I love that. This, this is an, uh, a theme that has been in, inspected by a lot of films and, and, you know, fiction. Uh, if you guys haven't seen, uh, there's on Netflix as of the recording of this podcast, the devil all the time. You saw that Michael? I did. Yeah. It had talks about like, uh, the art of, like the, the effect of DNA, generational nature, trauma, nurture, but generational trauma. Yeah. And it's, it, there's something, there's something that's more about that because it like skips over like time, like the foundation, the, uh, the, fa- what is it? The foundation or, uh, I'm trying to remember what's the Darren Aronofsky film. Oh, the fountain. Doesn't matter. The fountain, the fountain and stuff like that where it jumps through, or like cloud Atlas, but like, it's less like those films, but it, that has a wider scope, but this is just doing it twice. And I thought that that was nice. You know, if Shining's about destruction as a theme, this is about construction, right? Yes. So This closes the loop and it makes sense that it's less bleak because it's like, well, that one was the wound and this one's the healing of the wound. It would be weird if there was a third one in a way, even though, as I say, they could just do X-Files and I would think Mm -hmm. that's pretty keen. (laughs) Right. The other one I want to point out is there's a fairly neutral evil view of justice presented in this film from Crow Daddy. There's a one point where he actually talks about justice, right? And his, in his words, basically there's no natural justice. We, it's nihilistic and it's, it's approach. It yeah, just, the strong happen, eat the weak. It's very straightforward. You don't yeah. might as well kill people. Cause that is maximizing your benefit. It's less punish. So when we talk about like natural justice or like the God justice in like fiction, it's less punishing than the mist, the, the, not the, the story, but the movie. Right. Uh, but even at the end of this movie, you get the feeling that it's like for something. And while the guy, good guys win, they kind of just limp on unsure if it's for another day. Like there's a promise that Rose the Hat gives at one point where she says basically like, you think I'm the last? No, there's a ton of us out here. You know, like we're just one group, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's the idea that 
it's kind of like an X-Men. Right. right. Like, so as we they keep have saying, to become Buffy. There's going to be more villains. Abra needs yeah. to become badass, right? Because they're killing a lot of people. Abra um, is the new Buffy. Yes. Yes, exactly. In a, in a manner of speaking, she's like the, the, the big good. Um, and what was her... Yeah, what is her... Abra doesn't have a trauma i'm like what could her she next does. beat in the i guess that her dad was brutally murdered yeah i mean there's there's a weight of all the events of the film but it wasn't like uh there's an inherent distrustful distrust of danny slash dan of other people because of what his father did abra's at least walking you know into the future with the feeling that like sometimes you trust people and it absolutely okay, works so out the and third, you ought to trust people. So the third beat is sort of Batman Nightfall, right? She gets too good and too badass. And when she's an adult, she's jaded and going around the world just brutally slaughtering uh, shine vampire after shine vampire yeah, and losing her humanity. Immersed in the work to the point yeah. of losing her humanity, yeah. Because she believes Hell in yeah. it so fervently and is so alone that she doesn't have anyone to like... Maybe she... It's not that she can't trust anyone or maybe later she gets broken by a lot, like a breach of trust. But yeah, there's a lot of ways to go with that. But the way that we've set up Abra in this is she's severely less damaged than Danny ever was. Yes. After, you know, the shining. So that's, you know, in the plus column, as far as, you know, you go, oh, you, you, get, well, you get abducted by a, stra a stranger his and taken to a hotel in, Cal in Colorado. Uh, it, it actually ends pretty well for those stories. His goal was to shield a child from, and she's somewhat, he's somewhat successful. Although she does witness vampires get killed and like is aware that there's this whole meta universe of evil things out there that like her childhood's over. You know what I mean? She's an adult well, yeah, now. Yeah, that's kind <laughs> of the last scene. And I kind of found it one of the yeah, that's, steps she's of still, the movie. Oh, the last shot where she, it's like, she still lives with the knowledge of the shining ghosts. She still lives with, there's evil out there in the world because she walks, monsters like Rose. And yeah, because yeah. she walks into the bathroom with the bathtub lady <laughs> well, and I, is like, whatever, yeah. I'm going to take a shit anyway. I don't care. <laughs> oh, she's going to box her and she's going to read. She's going to be new Danny. But um, no, I'm talking about when Dan comes back as a ghost into her room. Oh, I interpreted the final shot as she was going to go use the bathroom and be like, I don't even care, lady. I'll take a shit right in front of oh, you. That's interesting. Yeah. Maybe she's that powerful that she can just ignore them. Um, I don't know. Um, but the ending, not shot, but the ending where Dan's talking to Abra in her room, she says mm -hmm. to her, cause she's like, well, I need to go back in hiding now because now we know there's more monsters like Rose. Yeah. Right? Dan says, no, this whole events, this has told me that go shine on. Oh, yeah. And he I'm tells like, her to shine her fuck? shine even more. Yeah. He's like, what? Like, well, that's, that's because, but you understand shit. why, right? That's because the story needs to wrap up now. Mike Flanagan doesn't want to hint at sequels. The redemption is redeemed. But then you shouldn't have said there's tons more have, vampires. A, there's so much more things. No, I like the vampires thing too. But I, I think you just have a scene about like, you don't, you have, you have that scene, but don't tell her to, don't tell her to go put herself out there with her shine. Shine on Abraham. You shine on. She, he, she, she does have him. 
So she, he just like, and she had, is the dark fucking Phoenix of the shining. Like she's the sure, most powerful she's one. Legit, yeah. But like, I don't know. It just feels like a weird message to tell someone after those events to like, you know what, you know after what, seeing go all nuts, that, go nuts with the psychic powers, really lean again. into it. Yeah. Do it again. <laughs> it's like, what? That's your takeaway. All right. I mean, like, I guess we can be pals and kill, you know, monsters, but yes. like I had a, yes. we barely made it. And I had like many, I had much help, you know, like I had two guys with guns killing most of them. And then you killed her with ghosts, you know, like I, I did a lot, yeah. but like I played my part as a team. Don't tell me to like go it solo. I guess that was one thing that I just didn't like, but I understand why they put it in there. You got to have that kind of stereotypical ending to make it feel like, and the and it ended and it's all buttoned up and let's go home. Um, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel good for him to say, and remember there's still danger everywhere. So live your life very carefully that we want everything to be fine. So they just let it be that way. They just let it be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the last thing I have is that I just wanted to shout out to not only just the acting job, but uh, King's scripting and Flanagan's scripting of a very vocal and clear villain like Rose. Mm-hmm. Instead of someone like it, she's Pennywise not, she's not like mysterious. Understanding, right? Yeah, she is not He's mysterious eternal. at all. She explains herself constantly. She, I, I like it. Yeah. I'm a big fan. A big fan of that. Uh, and I don't feel like we're ever like quote catching or monologuing. It's more of just like, she's just saying like, you think it's that? Oh no, it's this. I'm going to murder you now. And it's just like, Oh, you're cold blooded. Uh, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I thought that performance played it well enough for me to enjoy it. Sometimes that type of thing can go horribly because Mm -hmm. then you just like, here's my plan. But, um, I don't think they did that. I thought it was scripted well. Uh, and it it also helped with the exposition, as we alluded to earlier in this episode, that it's like, man, there's a shit ton of stuff they have to get through. And Rose obviously helped. Um, but wait. So I guess it's fine because Danny died. But I'm just saying someday a journalist is going to put together that there was a drifter who lived in this town for eight years. Then he vanished, taking Billy with him. Billy was found with a self-inflicted gunshot wound in woods hundreds of miles away. The guy who he was with died in a hotel fire, apparently started by that guy. And the only thing he left is that in his room, it says murder on the wall. Like history will think Danny kidnapped that girl and murdered that kid. Uh, I think they, I, think they're owning that actually that it's like danny will get will be mm-hmm. the scapegoat for this i think he, knew of that killings. With, he went to the out overlook i think he knew that yeah um because there's no way he's already like that's why she like dumps a, he's phone. already an Abra alcoholic dumps, drifter who's been around mm-hmm. at all these mysterious and murders her, and, it, <laughs> and his buddy's dead and yeah. um she has to toss the phone, remember? Because it's very right. clear. The mom at the end of that conversation says, she's like, Abra says to her mom, I love right. you. Like, I love you. But like, she dumps the phone so that she can't be caught. Cause it's obvious that the mom's immediate call is to the police and says, this right. is where my daughter is. She's clearly been abducted and like St- Stockholm syndrome or something. Cause this is weird behavior. I really like that overhead shot of all the RVs. It's a time lapse of them going around curves. And with the sound design, it's like a cracking spinal column. 
It doesn't mean anything, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Flanagan's got style. Yeah, uh, he does have style. Yeah. Stuff looks good. I like good. the look of this film. Uh, I definitely think that it's got that like blue green and like uh, muted warms and like the blacks are pushed and the highlights are kind of comp- like crushed a little bit for those of you who are color timists. I don't know mm-hmm. why I'm saying this, but like it works for the exteriors, like the look of this film when you look at it and you go, okay, the exteriors look good, right? The murder scenes look good. The night scenes, the horror elements in Dan's apartment. Cause it looks so crazy architecturally. Mm-hmm. It really works. But like, do you look at also shots of like Abra's home, which is just a typical, like, suburban house or the hospice which is kind of like not even a creepy hospice it's like a normal hospice the more conventionally designed rooms don't work as much in this look because they feel like we're the filmmakers unnaturally grasping for that horror look uh and like i don't know i i don't like that that on top of the fact that most films of this genre at this point are doing this um, it, that also bothers me a little mm-hmm. bit. It's like, oh, it looks like kind of like bloomy and like hazy. That means it's scary. Um, now that's just my hang up, but like, I just want to point out that that's there and that's about, that's what he does. Uh, Flanagan does that. And I think that the, this film has so many different locations. I feel it less. So it's something I would acknowledge. Um, Yeah. I'm pretty tired of the color convention, but this one film is filmed better than most of them. And it fits a little bit more and makes me think about it less often. So I don't know. Do you feel that way or did you have any thoughts whatsoever? Um, no, I spent that whole time thinking of the joke. Please don't flansplain to me, but there was never a good time to deploy I'm not it. Mike so I wasn't really listening. <laughs> yeah, That's fine. And you're not Mike Flanagan. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. the I'm sure the audience um, loved Still whatever you said. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for the it. Right? Do you want to move on? Yeah. Usually, yeah. I'm interested in stuff you say, so we're, we're it's definitely time to check out. If I'm like falling <laughs> off, does that that takes us to what the stand? I think the stand. The stand. What, how many are there now? One, two, three, four, One, two. eight. I think this is episode eight. There's eight. Eight meaty episodes. Ooh. Eight delicious episodes. Um, I don't know about There's one movie that is a big problem for my list. Well, we already right diverted in reality, so they won't match anymore. Yeah, this I is know. the ride or die point where you decide, are you a Michael or are you an Abraham? No, this is just me going... Uh, I'm talking to the audience, bro. I know, but I'm just saying, like, I I don't know what I... Like, I don't I know to put... There's one don't movie... don't know. I'm, I'm like, going to give them a tie, I think. Is that you allowed? You can't do that, my friend. I'm sorry. Like, we never made rules. Because I can wanted I give to give tie? one a tie, and I didn't. Or can I give <laughs> one a tie, then? <laughs> Because I I, well, I had the same instinct, but I didn't do it, so you can't. With this one, I I gave this one a tie with a different one. Yeah, I gave this one a tie with a different one. Then I guess we're allowed to do it. I don't care. Let's do it, <laughs> Fine. and then if it isn't the same one, we'll we'll, we'll undo know. it. Is that what we're saying? 
I, I don't think the list matters, so I'm I I'm, I want to be recorded. I think the list so. is the most important part of the whole exercise. Let's start right. at the bottom. Agreed. All right. All right. So number seven, because one of them's a tie, so we're still only at seven, right? I guess. All right, number seven, you idiot. Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher. Why do we do this way? Number six, it. Dead Zone. Number five, the Dead Zone. It. Okay. All right. Let's rest all right, all there. Right, all right. Oh, I hate disagreeing oh. with you, buddy. I this is the worst. Okay, so now how are you doing? Well, how are you doing though? We already knew that. I'm doing okay so far. Here comes okay, the scary okay, okay, part. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. So are we gonna name the two movies that are it sounds like we have the same two movies, well, to be honest, because I know. It, I I'm about to say number four. Are are you gonna say tied for number four? I'm gonna say tied for number four. Oh, then we have completely different lists. So okay. my number four is the mist alone. What is your number four? Mine is Dr. Sleep Ties with the Mist. Abe, you're going to be w- mad at me. Okay, so number three, Misery. Wow. You, how about you. you? How about you? I'm Misery. We're, and then we're Stand By Me. And then number two, tied for number two for me, Stand By Me wow. and Dr. Sleep. You're you're so generous. To what? I, I think Stand By Me is overrated largely. Oh, yeah. Right, all right. I think it's very good and competent, as is Doctor Sleep. I think Doctor Sleep and Stand By Me are are in the top comparable four, top four ish. We're we're talking about pretty solid good movies. movies. They're solid movies. Yeah, number one, The Shining. Lower. Here's the thing. Number one, The Shining. Number one, The Shining. (laughs) Number one, The Shining. Uh, here's the thing. I didn't put it up so high. I did think about it, but I actually something I didn't talk about as much is I didn't like. I didn't like that they went to the Overlook in general. Oh. I thought it had a lot of symbolic, like, oh, that's cool. Um, but it didn't, I didn't need it. I thought the, I couldn't get it out of my head that the movie would be cooler if the face-off just happened in Abra's home. Sure. Um, because like, I think that there's too much of like, oh, we gotta, we gotta do the blood. We gotta have the scene. Dude, with it's way better than the mist though. I just think it is. It kicks way more ass than the mist, frankly. The I mist, it's all about so the ending. Different. They're, they're different. So different. Yeah, they're different. That's what because mist is like this. This writing mm-hmm. dunks on the mist. In That's like every and I'm way. yeah, I'm script first, so Doctor Sleep really appeals yeah. to me. There's great one-liners uh, all throughout. I think that the I think that there's I think Darabont's even more efficient than uh, than Flanagan. And I just put it above misery because. It's so much harder to make than Misery was. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Yeah, I just think Misery like Doctor Sleep like, is so epic whoo! in scope compared to Misery. It's harder misery to make. Just like Kathy Bates. Just oh, oh. It's like every time, every scene is just like oh shit. Yeah, but Kylie Curran. Oh shit. Abra yeah. baby. Dude, yeah. There's a lot. I mean. That's the thing is this. It's hilarious to me that there's like shining stand by me, misery, mist, Dr. Sleep in my head. Mm-hmm. Those five mm-hmm. are of one caliber. And then you have 1999, 1990s, it, the dead zone and Dreamcatcher. I'm like, eh. they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. And it is 
<laughs> an important movie to people, but or series rather. But I don't sure. know. I'm yeah. fine with it. It's it's our penultimate right now. It's our second mm-hmm. to last. Um, what I'm waiting for is for something to dethrone The Shining. Not that it necessarily will happen, but I am hoping. I'm hoping something does. Uh, it's gonna be to I I know most of what's coming up. <laughs> I think I know the movie that will do it. I think I already know. Oh, there's a movie that you already know you would put above The Shining? Yeah. Okay, well, we'll yeah, see you when we get to it. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, I will give no money uh, and will not respond to anyone in the comments who says, I know what movie Abe's thinking of and then says the movie. But you will get a surprise. A pop in the nose. <laughs> Pop in the, nose the nose for bud. giving a away pop in my the secrets. Eh? Well, it probably is the the other one that starts with shh, right? Okay. Hey, sh- speaking of shh, let's shut the Stand fuck up and me. get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Stand by me, Dr. Sleep. The They're tied. Shut the fuck up. Hey, buddy, this is cool. Shut you it. You know that? Shut it. You shut it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this is fun. This is great. Mm. If I'm being fully honest... I still love the Coen brothers more, but they they ran out. I don't know what we're supposed to do about that. What are we that. supposed to do? There's no more. You can't just be the Coen brothers, guys. Jeez, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it. Yeah. I think the show, I think this podcast series is just as engaging. But man, I wish there were just 20 more Coen brothers movies to watch, don't you? Sometimes. You, brother. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. All right, next time we'll be talking Maximum Overdrive. Or we go. we're sticking with that. Or oh brother, or where art else. thou? Or oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> no. Yeah, you'll, yeah. We we uh, who knows on Kings of Maximum Cohen. Overdrive. No. Um. What should we decide? I think that's a new tradition. I'd like to lean we into. Never more. listen to what we do. I know, but so. we should, and we should try to stick to it this time, and keep trying till it sticks. Okay. All right. Okay. What are we doing? Um. What about under the dome? <laughs> Under the Dome? So we can do an Under the Dome on Under the Dome. But also, Under the Dome is a two-season series, so we'd have to watch it immediately. Like, start watching it. Mm. Um, was there a previous The Mist? I don't think so. Oh, there so. was a television The Mist. Oh. No, that was after. After the movie. Yeah, after. Apt Pupil, I haven't seen that. The Mangler. Mangler, I watched it. It is utter garbage. Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. All right. No, fuck that. No, <laughs> that's not even really. Those are derivative works. Those don't count. Does um, that mean we'll never do them? I mean, we have no, to No, we them. can do them eventually. Yeah. Does that mean we're just going to push all the, all the ones we don't want to watch right now? Yeah, so I, that's what I'm saying is we should so do we a bad to, one. We have to do a yeah. bad ones every once in a while, and this one was good. So That's what's, why our list is like good yeah. ones and ones that never need to watch again. So how about, I'm going to name some bad ones. Let's do Thinner. Thinner with a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes based on the novel of the same name published under the pseudonym Dickie Box. Hey. Old Richie Bachman. Hey. Um, Tom Holland directed it, but probably not that Tom Holland. I think he was a baby. Because it came out in 1996, and he was a little spider baby at that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So next time we'll be talking thinner on Kings of King. We love you. Love you. 
This has been a small beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.